Hey, this is John F. Murs, author, actor, and owner of 1021 Studios, and you're listening to Citywide Blackout. Hey everyone, welcome back to the show. Great to have you here. And for my next guest, between all she does on set, behind the camera, behind the mic, I'm really glad that she found the time to talk to me. Joining me now is LA-based actress, podcaster, and writer, Tanya Todd. Tanya, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Meow, thank you for having me. I was waiting for that. I was waiting for that intro. And folks, if you want to know what we're referencing, check her Twitter, sign up for her uh, newsletter. It all comes through. <laughs> all right. So there's a lot for us to dive into. And, and, and uh, I want to begin with your recent return to the series Dark Ops. You can check this out on Night TV+. Plus. This show is right up my alley, Tanya, because this is all about this like FBI's behavior analysis unit. They're hunting down and dismantling ransomware crime syndicates. I've yes. never heard of this concept, actually. This is a pretty like unique story here. Well, this is the creation of Night Studios, which is Alyssa and Mel night they actually worked in the field and so they're taking their expertise and turning it into stories but these stories are based on real situations that happened which is why it's really kind of terrifying when you when you watch the show and you realize this isn't fiction right this is a fictionalized version of something that really happened sure because all those like cop shows and like uh, the ncis shows and so forth you always think well it's all fiction like like this isn't how it really goes it's not really like this and right your show is oh it's entirely like this and they're referencing real tech that is used in real situations so and if you want to go into it with the facade that oh none of this is real great enjoy the entertainment but if you liked the deep dive <laughs> you, sh you should know that every one of these stories is based on a real life situation that that they've lived through was that mind-blowing for you when you first got um involved with the show yes because some of it is just it's very seedy learning how intricate the dark web is and all of the awful things that happen and the way that things interweave that you would not think are connected. See, I wanted to watch the show and now I know I'm not sure I do anymore because now I'm like, like too scared. <laughs> this is you want real... to watch the show. I want to watch the show. Yeah, of course I do. Of course I do. Um, so how did you first get involved uh, with the show? Well, it's all about connections. I happen to know one of the actors on the show and they needed someone to fill in for a role that they they had someone but it didn't work out so they needed someone quick and they needed someone who could learn lines like that luckily that was me so i went in and we hit it off it worked out well that i had a small role but we worked well enough together that they invited me to continue for the entire series Nice. Very cool. Given that you had to just more or less like jump into this thing, was it at all challenged to sort of get into the character and do what you had to do? Well, because I had zero time to prepare, it was more like, oh, we need you tomorrow. <laughs> so it's not like I could go into all the background that I normally would for a character. You know, I like to create a playlist and really get into the mindset of a character. So what I did is, number one, let me make sure I understand the scene, make sure I understand the lines. There's a lot of very techie language, and I needed to make sure that I was pronouncing things correctly. Because when you're involved with this kind of thing, if you have 
acronyms, those need to roll off your tongue like you know what the hell they mean, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Like you say this every day over and over, and I didn't want to pause on these phrases and then continue talking like a normal person. <laughs> so it, getting the technique down, you know, just let me get the language off my tongue. And then the other part is when you're developing a character with so little time, you have to draw from your own personality. It's like, okay, this is what I'm given. This is what I've decided. She is a Democratic senator, but she always wears red. Well, that's just weird. <laughs> and I won't say why. <laughs> no, you got to watch a show. You got to watch a show. That's uh, right. So your character, Senator Anne, who is she? What's your kind of role in the overall series? See, I can't tell you that. <laughs> oh, I like this. You're, good answers. Good answers. Okay. Then what I will ask you is how would you say the character sort of changed from when she first showed up to the current series? She was much lighter in the first episode. Mm-hmm. But that was by design. So it's not like she has really changed. It's more like pieces of her are being revealed. Oh. The funny thing is that the director said, I'm noticing these parts of your personality, and I'd like to weave them into the character because they're they're coming through a little bit. I'm like, oh, fantastic. (laughs) I was going to ask, actually, if you were able to kind of put any of you into the senator. So how do you think that kind of changes uh, the character? It makes it easier for me to get into the character when we're on set because, you know, we have to take long breaks from set and then we have to return because it's a TV show. It's not like a movie where you do all of this character development, you get on set, you record everything, and then you're done. You're essentially done with that character. With a TV show, you have to do it multiple times. And so because I can draw on myself so much, it doesn't take as much work to get back into that mindset. I get you. I get you. It's not it's not like you're going to do like everything in one go. It's okay. See you in like uh, six months. And you have to remember, wait, who was I? What right. did I do? <laughs> How did I speak in this? You know, because you use different voices for different characters. Sure. They don't all, I mean, they're all my voices. But not all of my voices are the same. Yeah. And you got to remember, oh, wait, how did I how did I walk? How did I talk? How did I refer to things? Right. How did I gestures? All these like little nuances you got to pick up on again. Exactly. It's like, oh, no, that's this character. <laughs> Do you have a way to relearn that stuff? A certain like technique you use? You know, I wouldn't say that I use a technique. I just I remember and I sit in it. You know, I, I will. I wouldn't say meditate because it's not true meditation but it will look like i'm just sitting and doing nothing but no i'm just reabsorbing that character okay and if if i have a situation where i may forget i'll just rewatch what i did nice so I remember oh yeah that's this quirk that this particular character has and it's a good thing i watched it because now i remember that specific thing and you know the viewers will actually pick up on that too Right. If you didn't do that quirk, they would say, wait a minute, that's not how she like holds her coffee cup or that's not how she opens a door. Right. Or she opened a door. She doesn't do that. Oh. <laughs> she has a... She has people for that. Yeah, people for that. <laughs> I was going to say minions, but actually people sounds a lot better. It sounds a lot better, but it's the same thing. It's the same. It's a, it's <laughs> politics. They're basically minions. Um, any particular scenes that you really enjoyed doing? You know, it's funny because you you record a scene, but then when you see it on screen, when it has the music behind it, it just takes on a different quality. And I remember doing this one scene with my co-star, Chris Sincomani, 
he plays Senator Gary. And it was this chilling conversation. But then when we watched it on the screen, because what they do, they do a big red carpet event every time we have an episode come out. So we get to see it in the movie theater on the screen, even though it's a TV series. But it's really cool. They, they go all out for it. It's amazing. But when you see it on the screen and you have the score behind it, you're just like, ooh, that worked even better than we realized. How would you say the music kind of changes the scene? Does it change like the mood of it entirely? Well, there have been times where, maybe not with this series, because the director communicates very well with us. But there have been other projects where you think it's one thing and then the score behind it changes the mood entirely. And you realize, yeah, I <laughs> I misread this scene or they changed what they were doing with it. <laughs> and sometimes you do multiple takes because they decide, well, we'll figure it out in editing. Do we want it to be like this or do we want it to be like this? And maybe you think this is the one I would have gone with. And they go with an entirely different take. All right. So moving on, uh, you are also currently in the midst of of, uh, of uh, shooting a short film called Morning Sacrifice. It's a romance horror movie where a detective helps a woman to find her uh, missing husband. And you wrote this, too, as I, as I understand it. Yes, this is based on the first short story that I ever had published. So, of course, it's very near and dear to my heart. It's also the first time I ever wrote in first person, which I don't really enjoy very much. I prefer third person limited, but I tried it in that and it wasn't working. And I have a mentor who said, just try it in a different, you know, just try it in a different voice. And when I did that, the character took over. So he just started telling me the story. All I knew is that it was a story set in Nevada and it was based on a theme of redemption. And so I just, I, it was the first time the muse took over and I was just taking dictation basically where he was just telling me the story and I'm like, oh, what happened then? And then what? Oh my goodness. Shouldn't I have known that? <laughs> you know. <laughs> and so like first person actually is pretty cool, huh? Right. It worked and it helped me to connect with my character. It's interesting because most of the books I think I read are third person. I don't, I'll read, I don't, I don't find it too many where it's actually first person. So, how would you say that kind of changes the overall flow of the story? For me, as a reader, I usually don't like it mm. because I think that most. I mean, it's tricky to do it effectively, and I think some people use it as a cheat. And it bothers me when they start, if you're writing in first person, you shouldn't be telling us about stuff that your character can't know. I also don't like when they use it as an opportunity to stop and look in the mirror and describe my long curly hair and my red lips. Like nobody does that, <laughs> you know? <laughs> well, some people probably do, but uh, you know, we, we don't want to uh, know them. We don't want to know them. <laughs> but as a writer, it did allow me to connect better with my character and just, I, I found that if I'm writing supernatural stories, I always go first person. For whatever reason, I always go first person. And so this character turned out to be a vampire. It's like, how did I not know that? That is definitely something I should have known going into this story, but he revealed it to me as we went along. And so he's actually a vampire posing as a detective to help Ooh. the woman he loves search for her missing husband. Oh, 
That's a really nice story. I like I like it's that. It's a love story. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good story. Very good story. So how did we come here to this now being adapted to a short film? This is my directorial debut. Really? Oh, cool. So for NaNoWriMo one year, I decided to adapt it into a short film. So let, let's see this. And then I workshopped it. And I, you know, revise and revise and revise because something that you're reading is not necessarily going to play out on screen. So you have to switch it to a video medium. And so I, I workshopped it and I had beta readers and I put together a team of people based on people I've worked with over the years. It's kind of like all of this work I've done on set was me scouting for talent that I wanted to work with. I didn't know I wanted to be a director when I first started acting, but the bug was put in my ear and I considered it. And I decided for my first endeavor as a director, I don't want to be on the screen as well because that's a whole different tiara to wear. When I'm, a, when I'm playing a character, I am that character. I don't want to be confused about who I am, what I'm supposed to be doing. I want to be able to just focus on this new job that I'm doing. And I am very glad I made that decision because the actress I have playing the lead is absolutely fantastic. Her name is Paige Annette, and she is so talented and just embodies the role wonderfully. And the person playing D'Artagnan is Michael Oliveira. And uh, they're both so dreamy. It's like I'm falling in love with my characters via these actors. <laughs> <laughs> so what's it been like for you being in the big chair? There are more challenges than I expected. Like I knew there would be challenges, but the first night after the first shoot, I dreamt of people just saying my name over and over and over and over and over and over. It was like, I just could not stop hearing my name. Tanya, 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 Tanya. And it's because everyone has a question for you. It's how does this look? What about this outfit? How's this angle? Do you like this lighting? Where is this going to be shot? So very many questions that I had no idea, but I'm grateful that I was able to answer them. Yeah, being in charge is kind of tough. I'm used to being in charge, but this was a new a new venue. Yeah, yeah. Did the story change being adapted to a short film? It did. It went a little bit beyond where the short story ended. So it ended on a certain note, and that note is still here, but it goes beyond that, and I don't want to ruin it for people, but... Nope, nope, you gotta go like see you, the you film. Get the, you get the full epilogue, and I like this version better. So once this is done, what happens then? Do you like send it out to film festivals and conventions? That's the hope. That's the plan right now. And we have a list of festivals that we plan to submit to, and then we just take it from there. Any particular festivals that you're like really hoping to get into? I don't want to say because I don't want to jinx it. Nice. <laughs> nice. Yes. The answer is yes. Yeah. The answer to your question is yes, but <laughs> I do not want to jinx it by putting, you know, I don't want to say it. I'll put it out in the universe, but I don't want to say yeah. it online because... Well then, well, then I will just say to any festivals that happen to get Morning Sacrifice, put this thing on your rotation. Put it in there. You're going to like it. The different cast members, do you think that they were able to bring a little more or, or a different kind of flair to your, to your cast? Definitely. There were certain lines that 
I imagined a certain way, but they would say it a different way. It's like, it still works though. It still works. It's conveying. If it doesn't, I'll say something. If it's, if they're missing the purpose of the scene or something, I'll say something. But so far they have been, I would say 97% on par with the story's intent and very, very directable. Both of them just amazing. Yeah. I think that is really a very key thing like if they can't take direction or if they're sensitive to to like changes or, or, or suggestions it can make things very difficult right and so the the lead actor was so invested that he actually read the short story he, he recorded an audio version of the short story and we put it on sonic salon which is just a it's a podcast that allows people to showcase their writing so they can read their own writing and send it there and they'll, you know, they'll share it with the world. Or you can have a narrator assigned to you. If you if you don't feel comfortable reading your own work, you just contact them and you say, hey, I would really like my to share my story, but I don't I don't want to read it myself. They'll connect you with a someone who volunteers as a narrator to help put these stories out in the world. But he recorded it. So now you get the actor playing D'Artagnan reading the original short story, Morning Sacrifice. That is a very cool service. I really like that. Now, what I found is that the audiobook version of a story can always bring a whole new life to the to the actual book. What was it like to hear him read your story for the first time? It was kind of sexy because he did it in the accent of the character, and it's not the way he normally speaks. He was so great during the audition, he fooled us. We, we thought, oh, he already has this accent. Great. We don't need to find someone who can do the accent. But then we do the question part of the the interview, you know, the, the interview part of the audition. It's like, oh, oh, no, he does not talk like that. Well, well done, sir. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Excellent. The part's yours. Yeah, well, he still had to do a callback. <laughs> of course. Of course. Yeah. You got to go through the process. You can't be like seen to be giving like favors out. Right. There were several good options and it, it, it was very, very close. But the thing that he did was he brought heart into the character. It's a love story and you can go into this thinking it's a vampire story and not quite capture the essence of that emotion. And he brought heart from the very beginning. Hmm. Uh, who are they? How'd you, uh, how'd you meet them? I did a casting call. Oh, Okay. I did it on backstage and I did it over some groups on Facebook, like their acting casting sites on Facebook. And he answered the backstage one. And the thing is, I'm not, he's in Miami. I'm nowhere near Miami. I meant for this to be local, but he was the best. (laughs) Oh my God. Nice. It's dedication, though. If he's willing to, you know, fly all the way from Miami to Las Vegas to to, uh, to do this thing, you say yes. Yeah, and, and he was the right choice. The the other actors were very talented, but I do not regret either either of my leads. Do you have any other stories that you're looking to do to to do this film adaptation with? I have another short film script, but it is not based on a short story. It's and it's a completely wordless script. So it's not silent because you still get background noise and you know you still have breath and everything, but there are no words spoken. It's all in expression. Interesting. 
That could be that be that one. Really I cool. do want to act in. I want to direct it, but I also want to act in it because I just want to see if I can pull it off. You know, <laughs> it's not easy to do that. You don't want it to be over the top with your expressions. So I want to see can I pull off these subtle expressions and have it work. And like you said, it's kind of hard to change roles going from you know director to character yes. and back again. But I won't have any lines to remember. <laughs> that makes things easier. There you go. All right, so we have talked a lot a lot about stories, and this seems a good way to segue into your current podcast, which is called The Band Books Conversation. I checked out one of the episodes, and I love the topic because, of course, I'm very much opposed to any kind of book banning of any kind. I think it's a ridiculous concept, frankly. But how did this become a show for you, and really why, why was this topic so important? So I'll try to keep this long story short. I, I identify as an author, an actress, and an activist. And part of activism is just volunteering. You know, it doesn't have to be marching on the front lines with your fist in the air. That is a form of activism, and I applaud it. But there are various forms of activism. I used to volunteer for the Henderson Writers Group. I was their education chair for four years, and I was the person in charge of booking talent and faculty for the Las Vegas Writers Conference. So I was giving back to the writing community and that was a form of activism. But when I stopped doing that, I felt like, okay, I'm not doing enough. I need to come up with something. And I came up with the Banned Books Project. I came up with the concept right before things got really bad. And I, I felt like that was God saying, yeah, you picked the right thing, <laughs> you know? This is a hot topic. So I only do it once a year and I choose seven different books and I put together seven different panels, one for each of those books. And one episode per day will come out during Banned Books Week. And we just have conversations about why the book was banned and what we think about book banning and whether it's ever okay to ban a book and what situations would occur for that to be. I, I am opposed to censorship, especially as an artist. But I've had guests who are not completely opposed to censorship, and they make for very interesting grown-up conversations where we aren't yelling at each other because we disagree. Any particular arguments that a guest made for book banning uh, that you thought, you know what, they really have a good point? So the first year, I was expecting, you know, I, I invited all these different people, and most of them are artists, and I assumed we would all be relatively on the same page with this. It wasn't my goal. It was just I run in these circles, so I figured, of course, we are all against censorship. But I had a guest who, in general, is opposed to censorship, but she came across a book that was targeted. It's a board book targeted at little children, and it's basically... It, she didn't know the name of the book or she didn't tell us the name of the book, but it's like a, a duck that keeps getting tickled. And it says, I don't want to be tickled. Don't tickle me. But people just keep tickling it. And it's like, no, you'll like it eventually. And it just keeps tickling. You just keep tickling this duck, even though it's saying, no, no, I don't want to be tickled. Please don't tickle me. And at the end, it's like, you're right. Ha ha. I did want to be tickled. That sends a very, very bad message. <laughs> Yeah, that's deeply concerning. I don't know why concerning. this book was created. <laughs> I don't think I want to know, actually. I'm curious, but you know what? No, I can just skip that. Like, we just want to indoctrinate rape culture into, like, toddlers, you know? 
I don't I don't know why this book exists. So that I was the first time I was like. I think you just said why this book exists, actually. I think you just hit the nail on the head. But why would anybody do that on purpose? I just. You know, I don't know, actually. I, I Well, I, I can I can put out a few a few ideas here, but they're probably little much. But yeah, I just don't, I just don't know. Most evil people don't realize they're evil. That more or less sums it and up. This yeah. just seems like it's impossible to not know when you're doing something like this. <laughs> or they don't care. Or they're like, you know, this is what I want yeah. to do and I don't care what it is. Oof. So I have to say, it's hard for me to get behind that book. Yeah. I, I still couldn't bring myself to burn it or to ban it. But I, you know, people should be looking at what their children are reading anyway, especially at that age. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. We vote with our dollars. Do not buy that book. You yeah. Know? Yeah. No, that's that's actually a very good point. I mean, like, I definitely don't agree with really any form of censorship. But at the same time, when it comes to who's reading it, Maybe you got to step in and say, you know what? This is not for you. Yeah, there are a lot of wide-ranging conversations because some people take the point of view that under no circumstances should anything ever be censored and that parents should screen everything. But other people have backgrounds where if their parents had been screening their stuff, they never would have been allowed to read books that included anyone like them. Because for the queer community... If you have parents who are not okay with you being queer, they're not going to let you read books that have people like you. So you grow up feeling isolated and alone and thinking that you are the only one going through this situation. Yeah. So there are many, many valid points to these conversations, yeah. and that's why I continue to have them. Is there a particular banned book that is a favorite of yours? Yes. <laughs> Whether I can narrow it down, I, I would Fair say enough. Stamped is probably the one I recommend most because I think that people can get so much out of it. Stamped the remix mm. first episode of the first season. And it is the most popular episode too, but it, it was just a really good conversation. And then this last year, my favorite conversation was the hate you give. Yes. Yes. It was just a fantastic conversation. The panelists were amazing. They didn't agree on everything, but they were so wonderful about expressing it and being respectful of each other. All right. Is this going to continue or was this sort of like a one-off that that you did? This is the second year I've done it and oh. I do plan to continue. Okay. All right. Now, uh, Tanya, uh, of course, we've been talking about the various projects you, you have going on, but this one I'm particularly excited to talk about. It is a comic slit essay that you have coming out pretty soon in which you compare comic characters to classic literary characters. This is definitely my bag in two ways. Yeah. <laughs> because this I was is a the collection of different authors who have written essays comparing, you know, just what you said, classic literature or things that are considered classical art with comic book characters. So for example, there's my essay was comparing Irene Adler from the Sherlock series, the woman to Catwoman, because they serve the same purpose to their detective heroes. <laughs> nice. I never would have made I never would have made that connection, but yeah, on point. I like that. That that was a very fun project for me because I learned something. It's like I'm the one who came up with this 
comparison and then it turns out oh no there's a lot to this and in fact there's a version where they directly drew from Catwoman the Sherlock series that has um Benedict Cumberbatch mm -hmm. that Irene Adler takes pieces of Catwoman so it's like Catwoman seems to be inspired by Irene Adler and then it goes back because she is a bisexual dominatrix who serves as a foil for her detective hero. <laughs> Meow. I like that. Very good. Very good. All right. Well, Tanya, the big question, of course, is what is next for you? What are some of the things that you have in the works? Well, I am going to finish filming. <laughs> that, that's, that's direct on my plate. And then I, I'm going to be working with something we haven't talked about at all. I also talk, I teach about diversity and inclusion in writing, and I'm going to be doing some work with that in the future. I am going to, I, I have another book that is going to be coming out, but I don't have a date for that yet. And then I'm also going to be teaching at AWP, which is a writing conference, specifically talking about writing about the different varieties of queer people because there's a whole spectrum and they're not necessarily covered and i'm going to be running a panel on that excellent i like that all right um uh, well folks if you want to learn more about the guest you go to miss todd.com just check out all her stuff it's all really awesome and of course sign up for the newsletter you won't regret it and tanya thank you very much for joining us i really appreciate it thank you for having me And with that, we bring this episode to a close. Thanks for listening. And if you haven't already, check us out on Facebook under Citywide Blackout and Twitter and Instagram under Citywide Max. You can catch this and all your favorite episodes on your favorite podcast platform. And new episodes are added every week, as well as on Boston Free Radio every Saturday at 10 p.m. You get at me at citywidemax at yahoo.com if you want us to just a guest, submit your music, or just drop us a line. Thanks for tuning in, and I'll see you next time.